Well, let's open in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your grace. Gosh, we thank you so much because, Lord, you have done so much in our lives. Lord, you keep us, you sustain us, you move us on, you discipline us when we need to be disciplined, all because you love us. And we thank you for setting that love upon us. We ask today that you would stir us with the Holy Spirit, that you would stir our hearts, our minds to give us understanding, but Lord, that we would most of all draw close and know you, know you more today than we've ever known before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A few announcements. Um, Palm Sunday's coming up on the 9th. Uh, I'm going to try and find palms. If you've got a lot of palms at your house, we need palm leaves to decorate. Let me know. Um, don't traditionally do a Palm Sunday service, but I felt this year we're going to do a Palm Sunday service. Um, again, the next slide, please. There we go. Good Friday. Um, in Hawaii, Good Friday is kind of something that's disappearing because a lot of people have to work and everything. And somebody has asked, could we do a Good Friday service, but could we do it in the evening because people are working. How many would be interested in Paradise? It would be in Paradise Park area coming out on a Friday night for a Good Friday service. Would there be anybody interested? Okay, pray about that. And it'd be like six o'clock in the evening. It would not be an in-depth teaching, a time of worship. It really would be an evening, as I put on the slide, an evening of really reflection. All that Jesus went through for you and me because of that love. Again, Easter Sunday is coming up on the 16th. Um, I'm going to have some flyers that you can hand out. People are more sensitive. I encourage you to invite people to come out. Unbelievers, because that's a time that they're very sensitive and probably more sensitive than any other time to come out. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Galatians now? Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. The cross-references will be up on the screen, but the main text will be looking at your Bible. I titled this, Keeping the Main Thing the Main Thing. It's hard sometimes to keep the main thing the main thing. We kind of, bing, go off here and bing, go off there, and we get sidetracked easy. I think each one of us, you know, one of the reasons I have notes, it keeps me on target. And God is very good because God gives us this plan to stay on target. He guides us. He directs us. And in Paul's letter, as we come to this, it, it really focuses and summarizes the whole letter together and really kind of, again, just touches upon Paul's heart. And it's important to understand that, that it also gives us interpretation in the big picture, in the, in the big idea. It gives us clues even to understanding the whole letter of a whole Well, look with me in chapter 6, verse 11. We see first Paul's concern. Paul's concern. It's there in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Highly disputed verse. And people like to say, well, Paul was suffering of eye problems. He had malaria. And there's about 15 different things that they say. And why I believe that's probably true. And I don't even question that. But I think it's kind of much more than just that. I know when we look at Galatians 4.15, it says, 
Where then is the sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. See, there was a concern, there was a love. A love willing to deny self and give away to someone else. That's all true, as I said. But I think it was much more than that. Much more, and I know there's some people will dispute that. But if you look and interpret this in light of, again, of the passage and the book and in light of everything that we know about Paul, Paul was a man that loved the people. Paul would deny himself. I think when he was writing these large letters, first of all, he was dictating it, if you remember. It was a customary practice, and now he writes, and yes, it's probably, again, his eye problem, but I think it's much more than that because this letter was a very personal letter. It was a letter that was personal, and it was, it was having great emphasis, great emphasis on what he's writing. He wanted to know that this was from him because, again, for the Thessalonians, there were others writing letters going around saying that he wrote certain things, but he wanted him to call attention, this is me. I wrote this. I wrote this from the bottom of my heart. Wrote it because I, I love you. In fact, we do something sometimes similar. We, we emphasize things when we bold type. If you would ever look at my notes, there are certain, especially the word bold type, it stands out here. There's an emphasis upon it or double underlining or even highlighting. Or if you do texting, how many do texting here? You understand that if you text something and it's all caps, the person at the other end is going to say, whoa, the person's angry. The person's yelling at me. We emphasize. And I believe that Paul was just emphasizing really this personal letter, the seriousness of the letter, how they respond to this letter, this epistle is going to affect them personally and those around them and and, and even eternally in some cases. Because they were following again, if you remember after the false teachers, they were drawing, being drawn away from the truth of who Jesus Christ was. They were being led into what is called works salvation. That if you just do circumcision, you do these different things, then, then you can find favor. If you just keep a Sabbath, you can find favor. Well, let me tell you, remind you, God loves you perfectly and there's not a thing that you could do anymore today that God would love you any more than he does now. Look at the cross if you question his love. Well, it was perfect love when he gave his life for you up on the cross. And what we do when we do things, we want to honor him, we want to exalt him, we want to glorify him, but there's nothing we can do to earn his favor well, that's Paul's concern. He wanted him to know the message. Well, look with me. There's a, a concern. The false teachers had a concern, and it was really only because of their flesh, their fleshly desires. First of all, in verse 12, it's their religious pride. Notice with me, it says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they try to compel you to be circumcised. It was their, their religious pride. They were concerned about what others thought, how others saw them. That's pride. Let's talk about pride for a second. Pride, sometimes we think of a person that's very bold, very outspoken, a person that knows it all, but sometimes the most quiet person can be the most proud person. And they're afraid to say anything because of what others would think. 
Just because a person is bold does not mean, again, please understand this, that they're prideful. And just because a person may be quiet doesn't mean they're prideful, but it will show and you will know them by their fruit. Verse 12a points out again that the Judaizers are motivated with a religious pride, a desire to show a good showing. They desire to be seen, desire to take credit for what someone else had done. Here, the the reference again, this this term flesh, it it really is their humanness or their self-effort, what they do in the, the power of the flesh instead of, again, in the power of the spirit. What we do, we want to do in the spirit. That's what brings glory to God. That's when we experience the peace of God that passeth all understanding, when we're resting and trusting and and we're walking in the spirit, being filled in the spirit, but not in self-effort. Notice again, they were concerned not about pleasing God in the inward heart. No, they were concerned in impressing others, what others thought. That's pride. And all of us struggle with pride in some way and in something. And again, but, but impressing others is really outward legalism, drawing attention to ourselves. John fifteen five says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that nothing is nothing of eternal value. You know, we need to rely and trust in the Lord, trust in his word, trust in his promises because he will sustain us and he will keep us. So the contrast to that are people that are simply people pleasers. They're worrying about what others think. In fact, I think we see that in Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their full reward. Now, some people have a hard time just doing kind acts for someone because someone might be watching. And they go to this scripture, but the scripture, notice what the scripture says very clearly. Beware practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. It's when you are doing acts of kindness, goodness, and you're only doing it to be seen by others. That's prideful, and that's hypocrisy. And it's hard to separate those two because we try to be someone that we're not. Look with me again in Luke, Luke 16, verses 14 and 15. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him, And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, that for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable to God. Notice again, God knows their hearts, and their concern was to be justified before men. We should never, ever be concerned what anyone else thinks What's important is what does God think? That's our motivation. We want to honor, we want to exalt God, not doing things to be seen. And if we're doing it just to be seen, just to be patted on the back, just to be exalted, God knows our hearts. And it's detestable in the sight of God. Well, there's another thing about these false teachers and look with me, we see their cowardness. Their cowardness, it's in 12b, simply so that they will not be persecuted 
for the cross of Christ. Their actions were motivated because of their own skin, their own lies, because they would be separated from synagogues or excommunicated. Now, it's important to understand that these people, not only were they proud, they were cowardly. They wanted converts for their own concern, for their own benefit, so so no one would go against them. They would not be persecuted. They were concerned what others thought. And our trust always should rest in the Lord. We should do the right thing because it's the right thing. And that's what's important. Now, understand here, there, there were zealots. Are there any zealots today? Zealots are, zealots are not necessarily bad. Paul, if you remember, he was a religious zealot. He was very sincere, sincerely thinking he's honoring the Lord Zealot is one who is strong, focused, one main point, and he's going to move everything out of his way, and he's going to accomplish that thing. That is good if it's done in love, if it's done because of Christ himself. But there were zealots, there were also, again, zealots in the land, they were political zealots. They were wanting to take over the the government, they're wanting the Messiah to come and conquer Conquer the land, conquer the Romans, so then the, the Messiah would be exalted. They were taking things in their own hands. There was a pressure. There's a pressure on them to, to conform. Again, these zealots, again, just like Paul, they were concerned about Judaism. They were concerned about losing their rituals and their things. And they wanted to move all of these things out. And, and so they would pressure people to agree exactly and do exactly to them. Today, we don't have necessary zealots in that same way, but we have legalists. If you do not agree exactly with me, you're wrong. You're condemned. You're going to hell. And people actually say that. Maybe you have friends that are that way. And it's sad that that's legalist. There's only one way. There is only one way. That's Jesus' way. But we do it from the heart. We don't do it to find favor because we have favor. We serve him. Now, again, they were trying to get them to be circumcised. Now, they believed in Jesus Christ. They believed that he died upon the cross, but they were adding to their faith, to their belief. Notice again in Matthew, Matthew ten thirty eight, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Notice again, the, the key here is that we're following Jesus. We're taking our cross. And, and at times, it may mean persecution. Persecution comes in many forms in this country. Again, we don't experience it like in other countries. But in some parts of the country, it's increasing more and more. Understand, it's important that we need zeal. We need a zeal. We need a passion. And and zeal is important, but having no goal at all is very dangerous. That zeal should have like something, There's it's taking us to a point. And that point, that religious zeal in a healthy way is focusing on Jesus Christ, exalting him. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you know what? Letting God take care of all the other things. That's what's important. Look with me again in in Matthew 13, 20 and 21. It says, The one whom the seed was sown upon the rocky places, 
This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. Here's a person who has no zeal. No zeal that is in the Lord. He has really no purpose. That is, again, eternal purpose. He's not focused upon a goal, the goal of really going to be with the Lord, willing to deny himself and pick up his cross. Here's one when persecution comes, he falls away. Revealing oftentimes that he's not even a believer. Now there's cases that a person may backslide, but but that zeal, if you have a zeal for the Lord, that you're seeking him, seeking his kingdom, seeking his glory, or seeking his righteousness, this will protect you in many ways and give you a purpose, a reason to live, and a goal. But it also means, guess what? Let me encourage you. It means persecution. It means persecution. And you really need to make a a choice today. What will happen is if persecution comes. Will you stand firm in Christ? Or will you fall away when things get tough? God is going to reveal the true church. He's beginning to separate. So it's important that we have this zeal. It's important that we have a goal. It's important that we discipline ourselves because the discipline in the Lord will determine your destiny. Where are you going? If you do not discipline yourself in the Lord and you do that in the power of the Spirit, you will suffer many consequences in this life. I believe sorrow, a loss of rewards. And I don't believe in, 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 this, in this case it means that every person that, that drifts or falls away is going to lose salvation. I'm not talking about salvation, but I believe that God has a perfect will for every person in this place. A perfect will. Where the peace that passeth all understanding. Where the abundant life is, no matter what is going on in your life, you can have a joy. A joy that just overflows. A joy that even lavishes the lives of others. And that's important. But again, that discipline is important to keep you with that goal, that purpose, and going that right way again, these false teachers didn't. Their only concern was their own skin, their own comfort. They weren't willing to face the persecution. Paul demonstrated this, I think, very well, his purpose and his goal and the reason he lived. Let me ask you a question. What is the purpose in your life? What is your goal? Where do you want to be in five years? What do you want your life to look like? Sadly, in this world, it's the one who has the most toys wins. But in reality, they lose, don't they? They lose. Well, look with me in Philippians 3.8. This was Paul. He, he demonstrated this so well. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them, but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. They may be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes, comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. Paul was being changed day by day by day. Each day he was more and more like Christ Jesus. That was his desire. If our purpose and our goal is to be like Jesus, to be conformed to that image, we will be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you know what? God takes care of everything. He takes care of everything that we learn to rest in him. So again, we saw their religious pride that was a stumbling block to them, their, their cowardness. Now we see one more thing, their hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy, it's in verse 13. For those who were circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. See, they were wanting them to be circumcised. They were wanting them to keep the law so attention would be drawn, so people would pat them on the back. But notice, they don't even keep the law. His parents... How many times, maybe we haven't said it this way, but our actions have said that, do what I say, not what I do. Did your parents do that? My parents did that at one point. I think at one point I did that. And this is what they're saying, do as I say, not as I do. And how sad when we come to that point. Hypocrisy is really inseparable when you stop and think about it from cowardness because a person's coward is worried what others are going to think. They're, they're worried again on getting attention, approval from others. They're pretending to be something they're not. That's hypocrisy. And the Judaizers are circumcised. They did not even sincerely try to live the standards of the Mosaic law. There are those today that within the church are trying to keep the law. But again, James makes it very clear. If you break one commandment, you've broken them all. And yet they're trying to bind on everyone else. If you're to find favor, you've got to do all these things. The only thing that pleases God is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his word and his promises And you know what? Faith is a gift. And all you do is appropriate it. He initiates and you respond. You have a little faith, he increases that faith. You recognize you have a little faith, Lord, remove this unbelief. Increase our faith. Again, we see it in different places. Faith is a gift. And it's not hard, really, to to have faith in God when you walk with him because you realize he is faithful to keep you. He's faithful to direct you. He's faithful to provide for you. He said he'll never leave you or forsake you. All you need to do is turn to him in the circumstance, and he'll show you which direction to go. In James, going through trials, he says, consider it all a joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing the test of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have that perfect work. If anyone lack wisdom, that's us, hint, lift your hand up. In a trial, you lack wisdom, right? But he says if you ask and ask in faith, he will give you the wisdom. And sometimes we go through things that we should never have to go through. Well, Judaizers, again, like legalists, 
are active today in the church. And I'm not going to say so much Judaizers. Well, there are Judaizers trying to make people Jews. There's Filipinos that want to be Jews and Hawaiians that want to be Jews and Howleys that want to be Jews. Why would you want to be a Jew when we're already in Christ, already saved? That we are the apple of his eye just as Israel. That God has a different plan for them and he has a different plan for you and me and we are the bride of the church and when I see a bride, they're always the most beautiful, the beautiful person there. Well, Judaizers and legalists, please understand that, are very hurtful, very harmful. In fact, Judaizers, what we're gonna find are legalists tend to be very prideful, prideful. Prideful people push other people away. Did you ever notice that? You don't live up to their standard. They push you away. They look down upon you. They find fault with you. In fact, what they are is hypocritical, we've seen. Prideful people are hypocritical. Not only are they hypocritical wearing a mask, pretending to be something that they're not, I often find them very cynical. Very cynical. Always looking for the worst in every circumstance, the the worst in every person. Cynical. Well, I just know that they're going to do this. I just know that this and that. And there's no way that you and I can know. You don't even know why you do what you do. And they're very prideful. They're hypocritical. They're cynical. And they are critical. They're very critical. They're very judgmental. They're very cruel. And they spurt out things. They may be very quiet and not say much, but they give you the look. They give you the stink eye, and you know that's a bad stink eye when they give it to you. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they're cruel because what they do is spew out something that's very hurtful, and they crush you. Have you ever said anything that came out of your mouth that you wish you could take it back? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about that crushes someone, destroys someone, and it's a pit of motions. Well, this person is just full of this. And they deceive not only others, but they deceive themselves. They're cruel, their words are unloving, and certainly their actions. Because when they're done, you feel like you have been run over by a truck, and then they backed up over you again. And it's hard to deal with those emotions. It's hard to deal with those things. Well, as the end times draw closer and closer and closer, this religious, and I'm talking about religious hypocrisy especially, like all the other sins, will increase. Well, let me show you in 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be, noticed lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied the power and avoid such men as these." Sometimes you'll see these people and this is the inside of them that you don't even know. And all of a sudden, once it starts coming out, it just doesn't 
stop. And they leave a trail of hurting and broken people behind them. Now this is, again, going to be the contrast. This is the, the false teachers. Paul was concerned. He had this important message, this whole letter. And again, we see the concern about, again, Paul was concerned about the people, their destiny, their future, but the false teachers were really concerned about themselves. That's really how it works, isn't it? Concerned about themselves. You've seen them on TV. You know, in, in their big mansions, million-dollar homes, fleecing the flock. False miracles and false signs that the Bible talks about to manipulate people. But Paul, see, they were glorying in the flesh, but Paul was really wanted to glory and boast in the cross. See, for Paul to glory in the cross was, was keeping the main thing the main thing because this is what the whole message has been about, is the cross. The work is done for you and me, and all we do is we come and we believe and rest and trust in Jesus Christ, in his work, and allow his work to be done in our hearts, and we just, we come and we seek him. We seek his kingdom, we seek his righteousness, Man, God begins a work in you and me, and he'll be the one that finishes that work. Our part is just to, to submit, to trust. Well, keeping with the main thing of the letter, in verse 14, in, in a part, it says, but may it never be that I would boast in, except for in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was gonna boast in the cross, boast in the finished work of what Jesus did for you and me. Paul knew that he was a failure, but in Christ, he was victorious. You were a failure, perhaps, in life before you became a believer, but in Christ Jesus, you are victorious. Well, again, Judaizers claimed to be the Christians, again, but they didn't glory in the Christ. They gloried in their self-effort, their fleshliness, their humanness in their self-effort. They believed certainly in the deity. They believed what Jesus did. But what they were doing is adding to the work of the cross. But their religion was based upon a works righteousness. If you just do this. I don't know if you've ever visited anyone in the hospital. I, I've had the opportunity to be there and, and people are praying. He said, I want to confess my sins and I think that's wonderful, but they're afraid that they might cuss because of the pain, their last breath and go to hell. They're afraid that maybe they haven't lived a good enough life. They're afraid that they didn't go to church enough or give enough. And they're looking for assurance. They're desperate. And they're desperate because they do not know Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I, I had an opportunity. A man was dying of cancer and it was only a matter of time. A, a friend called me from Honolulu and said, would you go with him? And I met with him several times and I talked and explained the gospel to him. And then I just, when I came, I just read the scripture. I read him comforting verses of assurance. And when he died, his wife, who didn't want to talk to me, she wanted to know, what did you tell him he had such peace in his life? You don't have peace until you come to know Jesus Christ, the king of peace. 
the religion of the false teachers? Well, it was works righteousness. It's, it's basically what has been from the very beginning when Satan's rebellion, if you remember. When he attempted to usurp God and God's throne and rob God of his glory. In fact, Isaiah 14, 12 and 15 says this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations, but you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. And I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down the Sheol to the recesses of the pit. You know what works righteousness says? I will, I have done. When we begin to say that, we have a religion that's based upon works righteousness. What a contrast. What a difference. See, these Judaizers, these false teachers, they were talking about what they did. They were boasting in their works righteousness. Paul boasted in the glory of Christ. And that glory of Christ is still working today. When a person comes to know Jesus Christ, they look at the cross and see what's done. God begins a fresh new work in their life. All they need to do is hear who Jesus is and begin to read the word to them. And when they know that word in the context, they're not gonna boast in what they have done because they recognize their helplessness, They recognize their depravity. They recognize their unworthiness. And they recognize that God should be glorified because God has snatched us out of the miry clay. Luke 10, 18 says this. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know the one who trusts and work righteousness will never enter the kingdom of heaven? The person who is trusting in his works and his efforts will never enter the kingdom of God because a person must be born again. That person that is born again, born from above a supernatural birth, trusts not in his own efforts, but what Jesus Christ has done for him. See, this this self-effort is really a, a lure by Satan. It's a lure by our flesh because, you know, when you do something good for somebody, you go to the hospital or, or, or a care home, you visit somebody, and you know, you, you, you go there to encourage them, and when you come out, you're, you're encouraged. And you feel like, oh, I really done something. That's your flesh. No, God allowed you to experience what God is doing in that person's life. God has a divine appointment. It was planned before the foundation of the world that you would be in that place before all time. Because God wanted to reveal himself. How much he loved that other person. How much he wanted to show you that everything depends upon him. But again, this, this, this works righteousness, it's, it's a lure really of the devil. It's a lure of our flesh. It, it's, it's all self-willed disobedience. It's saying, God, I don't need you. I can be good enough. I can do enough good in this life that I can go to heaven. Sadly, in Israel, 
at the end of the year for them, their Jewish year and the beginning of a new year, they always want to see if they did enough good works in order to compensate for those bad things. And they try so hard. And without knowing the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah of God, they've missed the mark. In the church today, people are saying, I love my works, righteousness. And they're just as lost. Anyone who trusts in their own efforts, anyone who thinks they can be good enough to get to heaven is really headed to hell. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen and 15 says, For such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. In the church, there are people that, that look like they're, they're really Christians. The weed, side by side the tares, you can't tell the difference. But they have a doctrine that's inconsistent with what the word of God is saying. See, these Judaizers, like the legals today, they're, they're blind to their own spiritual needs because what you and I need is Jesus Christ and know that Jesus Christ was crucified for you and for me on the cross and believing in him, we have life eternal. And that is not just, again, length of time. That's a quality of time. God wants you to, in this life, to experience the joy of being in him. Now, the critics, they glorified in self. But Paul, and I believe for every true believer, glories in the Savior. The critics, again, these, these false teachers, they glorified in their, their flesh. But Paul glorifies, or glory brings glory because of the cross. See, there's a difference. is Christ-focused, and they're self-focused. And that's what these false teachers were, were showing. The cross is, is not only is it's a place of glory, the cross is a place of separation because when we believe and trust in the cross, the work of the cross, what Jesus did, we are set apart for him. Set apart, kept until that day. Not only are we set apart, we're kept until that day by his power and we become his workmanship and he will finish the work in you and me. Matthew 16, 24 says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, any disciples here today, that's a hint. You don't have to hold your hand up. If you're a believer, you're a disciple in Christ. Now, he was speaking directly to those disciples right there. I understand that. But he says to his disciples, as he says to you and me, if anyone wishes to come after me, that's what we want to. We want to follow him, come after Christ Jesus, right? then we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Now in that, it means that we will deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow. It, it sounds very difficult. But you know what? It becomes a joy in Christ Jesus. He gives us the power. He gives us the strength and realize that we get to go through these things and we recognize that our lives then become a, a living testimony to others. When people see what you and I are going through, they say there must be a God. And they're kept by God. 
while the world has nothing really to offer to Christ, for anyone who is a disciple, anyone who is devoted to Christ, this world has nothing. Nothing to the the one that's devoted to Christ too because this world has nothing and, and our hope is everything in heaven. Longing to be in a world that God has planned for you and me from the beginning of time. Notice with me the power to free men from the world's bondage. Verse 14b, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The life, that again, the life of a person is apart from Christ in this life is a victim of the system. If your life is not in Christ, you're apart from Christ, you're a victim, a victim, again, of this world system that's going to draw you away into a meaningless life. Again, I've had that opportunity to talk to people that they, they just don't know what's going to happen when it's all over. Some of them just think they cease to exist. They begin to wander. They begin to, to grab onto anything because they know when they come to that point there must be some kind of hope, but oftentimes it's too late. Their hearts are too hardened. Well, again, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 8 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He's predestined us to the adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he has freely bestowed upon us who have believed or in the beloved. In him we have redemption through the blood and the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and sight. You know what I love in that last part there, verse seven? In him we have redemption through his blood. When we took communion, it's a reminder that we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We have been atoned. Our, our sins have been atoned. We have received this forgiveness for our sins, our trespasses. And notice it's according to the riches of his grace. And he's lavished us. And I'm gonna add the word here, with his love and wisdom and insight. Philippians 3, 2 and 21 says this, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory and by the exertion of power that he is even to subject all things to himself. So our citizenship is in heaven. Where's your home? Heaven. Is heaven in the clouds? I don't think so. Heaven is with the Lord. In a place where there's no sin, there's no pain, no sorrow, There's no temptations. And notice again, believers, what they do is they eagerly wait for the Savior. Mature believers eagerly wait. Are you yearning and longing for the Lord to come? Lord, could today be the day? Man, that's a purifying thought. When I think about it, today could be the day. And actually, when I I think about it now, Lord, this would be a very, very good time while I'm teaching your word. Got the hint, Lord? Yeah. And that, think about that, when you're yearning for him, 
looking for him. It makes us very conscious of the choices and the decisions and the places that we go and the friends that we choose. First John 5 verses 4 and 5 says this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So you know what? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're overcomers. Amen? Can you say you're an overcomer? Come on. We are overcomers, and that should be exciting. We are victorious in Christ. By faith, by putting and trusting in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has already overcome this world. The victory is already done. Why do we live a defeated life? Why do we let our circumstances dictate whether we're happy or sad? When you're already victorious, when you're already an overcomer, that's what the scripture is saying. Look with me again in New Creation, verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. An overcomer is a, a new creation in Christ. And that, that first meaning, uh, that idea of uh, a new creation, that is your position in Christ. Positionally, you are a new creation. The work has begun in you. The process is, is began in you. God is beginning to change you. That's your position. It's not finished. Notice again, Paul gloried in the, again in the, in the cross because of the power when we look at the cross, when we look at what Jesus does, he set us free from this bondage of sin. We no longer have to sin. We have this freedom. We now are overcomers. We are victorious, even though we have this weakened flesh. Corrupted by sin, we are still overcomers. We now can choose not to sin. How do we do that? Well, we focus on God. We focus on his power. We focus upon what he's already done, but not on human effort. When I try to do it on my own, guess what happens? I fail, right? But in Christ, I can do all things who strengthens me. See, I can do it in, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of God, knowing that it's his power, the power of the cross, the power of the Spirit in, in my life. And it's that power that makes, again, a believer, a new creation in Christ. And the work has begun. John 3, 3 says this, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you've been born again, then you're a new creature in Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, Behold, new things have come. Now, that's our, again our position. We're safe, we're secure, we're kept by his power, and now we have the power to be victorious in this life. Looking to him, trusting in him, and resting in him. Look at verse 16. We see the walk and the power to bring salvation to those who walk by his will. Paul gloried in the Christ in the cross because it was the power to bring salvation to those who walk by this rule. Those, what is that rule? Well, the rule is the gospel. To point them 
to Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ would do. Now, the word translated rule is actually the same word that we use for canon. What is a canon? That's the whole scripture. Timothy, again, was instructed to, to study the scripture. He was told that the Old Testament, this is all the scriptures, was to lead him to Christ. It was sufficient to tell him who the Messiah was, what the, the Messiah was going to do. And it was going back to the Old Testament. It speaks of the entire Bible. Men cannot change the terms of salvation. There's one way. Jesus is that one way. He is the way, the truth, the life. There's no way the Father but through him. But man can refuse that way. They can refuse Jesus Christ. They refuse salvation. And I don't think there's any greater judgment than one that knows what the gospel message is. It says, no, I will not believe. No, I will not trust in you, Jesus. I will be good enough on my own. I will exalt myself. See, it's no different than Satan. Hebrews 10.29 says this, how much severer the punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has resulted or insulted the spirit of grace? Verse 16b says, Peace and mercy be upon you and upon the Israel of God. It seems to be a, a normal closing in here, but peace. Peace can mean a lot of things. Peace to a Jewish person means not just peace, have a good day, but it's everything in your life. It just flows through your life and flows to everyone. And mercy. We deserve hell. But he's given us life. Notice what he says to them be upon them, upon the Israel of God. Now, some people will take it. There's different camps. This is only talking about the Israel of God, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why some people want to, to become Jews, no matter what culture they're. It's not what it's saying. Again, Romans 9, 6 says this, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who descend from Israel. And Romans 2.29 says this, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and the circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not of the letter and the praise is not from men, but from God. Galatians 3.7 says this, therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Are there sons of Abraham today? If you're a believer, you are a son of Abraham by faith. You don't have to become Jewish. You're just a, a believer in Christ Jesus. You are a son of Abraham by faith. In Galatians 3.29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And that promise is Jesus Christ, a life eternal in his son. Look with me, verse 17. It says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The persecution continues. Paul had gone through more 
later in his life than he did when he was younger. We talked about that last week. But you know, all the marks, the scars and everything he went through, he says, these are signs of ownership. These are the marks showing that I have laid aside my life for Christ Jesus. This was a witness. This was a testimony to all around him. It was the proof of his integrity that he was willing to lay down his life. Look at him. He has not vacillated back and forth. He has continued to hold firm. He saw the goal. He was devoted to it. He was devoted to Christ. He was committed, and his life identified with Jesus Christ, and it showed by that marks. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul's just simply talking about his identification was with Christ Jesus. When he was going through persecution, it reminded him of what Jesus Christ had done for him and he was strengthened and he found that strength in him. He knew it was God that was sustaining him. Paul simply meant that he was crucified, in a sense, with Christ. Flogged, nailed to the cross, he identified with what Christ went through. He identified as he laid down his life for the others. And that's what we're called to do, is lay down our lives for other people. This life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ and living as Christ lived Look with me in verse 18. We see that final blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. What a beautiful time to come. Come for you and come for me to come for his bride. I love his words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, when we come to him, he teaches us, he instructs us. He makes us overcomers. And whatever you and I go through, as long as we keep our eyes upon Jesus, we can have perfect peace. We can know his mercy. We can know his grace. We can know where we're going. And when that time comes, that last moment, we don't have to worry. Because we know when we close our eyes in this world, we'll open them up and we'll see Jesus face to face. Stand with me, please. Father, we we thank you so much for loving us and sending your son to die for us. God, we ask again that you would forgive us and cleanse us and restore us. Give us a fervency and a passion for you, for your people. Lord, that we would want to exalt you and help us to to watch over the weak and protect them from the, the Judaizers or the legalists. Help us to be men and women of the word. Help us to be encouragers, to encourage others, to help them know that when they trust in Jesus Christ that they're overcomers, they're already victorious. And Help us to stand beside them and lift them up and encourage them and and bear one another's burdens. Lord, thank you for this book of Galatians as it's been such a blessing to each of us. 
Lord, thank you for Paul that's gone before us. We can learn from our brothers, those that have gone through, that that you have kept him, that you will keep us until that day. So, Lord, we just want to glorify you. You have been so good to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.